Hello and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of April 10th, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And it was a short week with the Friday holiday, observing Good Friday. And it was a week in which we had a lot of economic data and a lot of that economic data was not positive and we're seemingly pivoting into, and the word pivot doesn't always apply to the Fed, an environment where bad economic data is actually bad and good economic data is actually good because for a while there, bad economic data seemed to signal that the economy was cooling and that was in theory going to force the Fed to be a little bit less hawkish. But the economic data that we got this week was somewhat mixed, but certainly trending negative. And that's been net negative for some of the sectors that have worked so far this year. You look at the S&P 500, basically flat, down just 10 basis points for the week. But the sectors that have been working so much this year didn't work as well, specifically consumer discretionary, which was down more than 3%, and then technology down 1.29%. Communication services was up 1.66%, but the best performing sector this week was utilities, up 3%. And then you had staples up 87 basis points, healthcare up 3%. So those three defensive sectors all outperforming the market and all perhaps benefiting from what felt like a more defensive orientation in the market. We also had energy up 2.6%, which is the sector in focus this week because of a lot of the news flow that we've seen around energy and the fact that it is a sector that's seen some pretty significant flow activity, at least more recently. But back to the week, we did see ISM, manufacturing and services, both miss and We'll get into those reports a little bit more in, in greater detail, but we also saw an ADP print, private payrolls print that was much weaker than expected, and we also saw higher than expected initial claims. So the employment picture, which a lot of people has been pointing to as a reason why we're not in a recession or unlikely to be in a recession, seems to be at the very least showing some signs of stress. And if you look at those initial claims numbers, we saw a revision higher from the prior month. We saw a higher than expected number this week. So all of those headline layoffs that we saw from these big tech companies, from these big blue chip companies seem to be finding their way into some of the broader economic data. And I think that's what a lot of people have been expecting. Now, the market's closed on Friday. I'm recording this on Friday, but we did get a payrolls print, which was roughly in line with expectations. Unemployment down to 3.5%, but we saw wage growth moderating again. It was lower than expected. And I think that, if nothing else, net negative, of course, for human beings, but net positive for the inflationary backdrop. And when I said we were going to dig into the manufacturing and services PMIs a little bit more, it's interesting because on Monday we heard that manufacturing PMI fell to its lowest level since May 2020, which of course was in the thick of the COVID crisis. But it was the first time since 2009 that all of the subcomponents of the manufacturing PMI fell below the 50 threshold, which is the 
demarcation zone, if you will, for growth and contraction. So manufacturing seems to be in a recession. I think it's hard to debate that. And when you see every component of manufacturing PMI below 50, that means every component is in recessionary territory. The services side also fell. And what we saw was a net negative print for services, but within it, the prices paid for services in the index fell to 59.5 from 65.6, which again is net positive because that is one of the areas that has been putting inflationary pressure on the economy and on the market, the services sector. So to the extent that we're starting to see an easing of inflation in the services sector, which a lot of people look as as a gauge for what's happening in the PCE, the Fed's favorite indicator of inflation, ahead of next week's CPI print, these are positive dynamics. Now, the stubbornness, if you will, of the payrolls number this week is certainly making the Fed's job a little bit more challenging. But by and large, this was an economic data week that showed from a number of different angles economic activity that is at the very least trending in the wrong direction. From an overall volume perspective, we traded about 600 million shares across the select sector spider lineup over the four days. So a decent amount of volume over a short week that is reflective perhaps of some repositioning. And from a flows perspective, as I highlighted, we saw 20 million net new shares created over the rolling one-week period and 8.6 million new shares in XLE alone. So we're starting to see some interest in the energy sector. We saw 5 million new shares in staples, 2.6 million shares in utilities. So some defensive orientation, but also 3.8 million new shares created in XLK. So Overall, we didn't see a lot of redemption activity. No one sector had more than a million shares redeemed for the week. We saw 1.8 million shares created in XLC. So again, week to week, quarter to quarter, month to month, hard to read too much into the flows picture, but it is significant, I think, that we saw some activity in XLE once again after a year in which XLE was such a strong performer and shares were basically net negative and had been flat for quite some time going back to the COVID bottom. And XLE is the sector in focus this week because we had our investment committee meeting in Denver yesterday in, in the office. And one of the things our real assets analyst, Jimmy Wanger, was talking about is what's transpired with natural gas and crude oil. And on the one hand, natural gas prices have basically fallen 66 plus percent. And part of that is owed to the fact that we just didn't have a winter in Europe. And that ultimately saved Europe from some of the challenges associated with the Nord Stream pipeline coming offline and sanctions on Russian natural gas and the like. And so they did a great job of stockpiling natural gas going into the winter. And then all of a sudden, temperatures were 30 degrees above normal for two straight months, give or take. And that helped alleviate some of the global pressures on natural gas prices. And part of the reason why we saw such an unwind in natural gas prices, we also saw Freeport, a very critical supply point for LNG offline for quite some time. So if you think about U.S. natural gas production, there weren't a lot of outlets for it. And with Freeport offline and European demand softer than expected, 
It put downward pressure on natural gas prices. Then we also saw downward pressure on crude oil prices for quite some time, dipping into the 60s. And that was the level at which the government said that they might start refilling the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Of course, they didn't. And prices didn't hang out there for very long. And just when they were sort of in that area, we saw that OPEC or OPEC Plus was going to cut production once again. So ultimately, energy is in this really interesting position where, as we've talked about, the supply side of the equation is still very tight and has gotten tighter more recently. And people seem to be discounting the price of crude oil as a result of what could be a pending recession and the demand destruction that comes from a recessionary environment. The flip side of all of that is that China is reopened and economic activity in China is expected to improve. Economic activity in Europe seems to be normalizing, if not improving. And so the supply and demand dynamics for crude oil and for natural gas globally are very much dynamic. And energy companies were one of the worst performing sectors so far in 2023 and had been the worst performing sector until recently. And then you had energy as the best performing sector last week, gained another 2.6% this week. These companies, once again, as we've talked about, fundamentally have made dramatic improvements in terms of leverage, in terms of the quality characteristics of those companies. The valuation story remains intact in terms of valuations well below that of the market on a price-to-earnings basis, on an earnings yield basis, above that of the market. But also, perhaps importantly, these companies just haven't seen multiple expansion in this rally. A lot of the rally we've seen over the course of the past couple of years has been on the back of growing earnings. Now, 2023 was expected to be a year in which energy earnings were set to decline, at least at the EBITDA level, partly because they were so strong in 2022 and in 2021. So energy, as you would imagine, being so weak so far in 2023, hadn't been a popular topic within the sector framework because it was the growth sectors, technology, communication services, consumer discretionary that were leading the market higher. And energy just sort of hanging out at valuations and with fundamentals that some people might have found attractive. And of course, the market's highest yield. And now that we've seen a big production cut, supply side challenges remaining, and of course, concerns about global, if not domestic, recessionary impulses weighing on the demand side, it's in this really difficult place for some investors. And we've talked time and time again about how we think long-term the energy sector as part of an energy transition portfolio is an important component for investors to play that secular energy transition. But in the near term, of course, there's always going to be volatility in the energy sector because it's been the most volatile sector of the market historically. So certainly a sector to watch going forward as some of these things play out, geopolitical tensions, economic activity, economic data, and of course, some of the economic data we're going to get in, re in upcoming weeks. The energy sector will be one of those sectors that investors are talking about once again, and it's certainly a sector that started to come back into focus. So looking ahead to next week, we've got really important economic data once again. It is CPI week and PPI week, so inflation remains the main focus for investors. We're going to get retail sales data as well, which will give us insights into the health and activity of consumers. And on Monday, we're going to hear from Neil Kashkari, who always 
is good for a quote or two about his perspective on the economy. Some of them are a little bit different than overall consensus at the Fed. Some of it is also typically in contrast from what we're hearing from other Fed governors and other Fed presidents. And so it is a week in which we're going to get a lot more insight as to the trajectory of inflation at the consumer level and at the wholesale level, as well as some insight or additional insight, I should say, into the health of the consumer. On the earnings front, we're starting a new earnings cycle at the end of the week, and it starts in earnest with the banks. And the timing of bank earnings or financials earnings couldn't be more important because of all that we've gone through recently with the regional bank failures and the concerns about the solvency of some of these regional banks. It's a massive quarter, not just in terms of results, but also commentary. What are these large financial institutions going to be saying about the economic backdrop, about balance sheets, about some of these liquidity risks that these companies are facing. We're going to hear from Wells. We're going to hear from JP Morgan. We're going to hear from some massive financial institutions who, if you read and pay attention to financial media, are the ones that should be, in theory, benefiting from the flight of deposits from regional banks and should be, in theory, insulated somewhat from some of the dynamics that have weighed on companies like Silvergate, companies like Silicon Valley Bank, Signature, First Republic, etc. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining me once again. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. For those of you who celebrate it, I hope you had a wonderful Easter with your friends and family, and we'll catch you next time. Take care.